You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. We're back. Primal Radio, December 13th, 2017. I'm Jim McCann. I am with my co-host, the Alana and the great Tom McGrath. Guys, how are we today? Elated. Elated, good. Tom, how are you, buddy? Um, a bit hungover. Are you really? Christmas party last night. You've had a lot I'm of good. Christmas I'm parties. So I, I, yeah, I got some of the videos. So, <laughs> so last week, after we were on the radio, I guess, Tom, you had the, the Lackloy, the JKD London Christmas party. Yeah. So, yeah, that was great. And I don't think I should. Yeah, so I don't know how loaded they were. Or what time of night it was over there, but I have like 10 uh, Facebook video messages. Did I show you those? I showed her some. Absolutely. You know, and oh, Jesus, Johnny Mac was lit up at these. At least it sounded like And Lack, Mr. Zen himself. It's hard to be Zen when you got 20 beers in you. Yeah, so. that was definitely not at the, not at the start. We we we, we went to like a we did like a karaoke night and there oh, was did like f- fifteen people were allowed yeah, in the booth. That's funny. And we had about forty in there, um, and then I think that was at some pub afterwards. But so you weren't at Johnny uh, Max pubs, then you were the uh... no, nah, we weren't. We weren't oh. West End. We were in like West, you know the like, center of town. Like I don't Times know where Square. any of that is. Oh, yeah. You can tell me anything; it doesn't matter. But anyway, yeah. so we got. <laughs> you can, I could. Yeah, I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, you can hear us every Saturday night at 9 p.m. UK time and 9 p.m. Uh, New York time on HamiltonRadio.net. Now, here's some interesting news, Tom. You were asking earlier, and as we grow, uh, we're in 180 some odd countries, and we're growing, and more and more people, are, believe it or not, are listening to this shit and find it entertaining. So, as a result of that happening. Despite uh, our best attempts, our best attempts to, 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 despite Tom's best attempts to sabotage the show, um, we're going to be in the next uh, week or so on iTunes. We'll be on Sonos. We're going to be on YouTube, on SoundCloud, and Amazon Alexa. And was there another one? Oh, we were supposed to. iHeartRadio is the other one we're going to be on. So, how does that sound for you, Tom? That's big news. That's big news. Taking over the world. We're taking over the world. <laughs> oh, man. That was our plot. But anyway, so uh, this week we have another guest. Now, this gentleman I've known for uh, a long time, long 20, 30 years. I don't know. I can't, can't even remember. And um, he's been a huge influence on my life. Um, uh, I met him through uh, someone else, and uh, I just hit it off with this guy. He is the most thought-out martial artist I've ever had the opportunity to train with, and it is a mentor of mine. It has taught me tons and tons of uh, of stuff, and and it's really because of this man why anyone in the world even knows who I am. <laughs> I don't know if, that, if you want to blame him or thank him. That is entirely up to you. But uh, we have uh, our special guest this week is W. Hawk Hawkheim, and Hawk is a former military police patrolman. He's an investigator. He's traveled the world teaching hundreds of seminars in, geez, 13 allied countries. He's taught every military, everything you can imagine. He's been a bodyguard. Uh, He's an author of several books. And uh, anyway, we'd like to welcome the great Hawk. Hawk, I'm Hawk. How you doing, buddy? 
I'm doing okay. I wish I was there with you. I wish you were here, here bro. I'm here in North Texas. North Texas, yes. What people don't know is uh, everyone knows Hawk from Texas, and I hope I'm not, is that Hawk's actually a Jersey boy up in North Jersey. That's right. Right right from the neck of the woods where I grew up, just outside of New York City. So that's where where he was born and raised. And what, at 18, you got on a motorbike? Yes, I I think it was 17. 17. I I live right on the Hudson River uh, overlooking Manhattan, which is still a spectacular view. It is. And, you know, I've seen the Great Wall of China. I've seen all kinds of things. But to see Manhattan, you know, from from the top to bottom, uh, north to south, at night and in the daytime from the Hudson River Palisade Cliffs, is really an amazing sight. Yeah, but really. anyway, I, I think I paced that uh, that view to escape from there, you know. And then I, <laughs> as, soon as, I, as soon as I graduated high school, I climbed on a motorcycle and myself and two crazy friends left. And I've barely been back since, except to see Jim McCann, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would um, see why I, you'd I, return I, for really that. Yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, 18, he just got. Now, did you head, for, were you really heading for Texas or were you? Uh... Well, actually, if you must know. I must know. Uh, during the Daily News, in the New York Daily News, uh, at the end of it, there was a period of time when I was 14 or 15 years old where they were showing women from Australia. And uh, <laughs> of course, they were, all the in, they were all in bikinis on the beach. Yeah. And the, and the actual <laughs> advertisements were. That, you know, there was like eight women to every one guy, you know. Good and, odds. And we need immigrants. We need people to come to Australia. And so in my, in my 13, 14-year-old mind, I got the idea, I need to go there. Look <laughs> so at you got on a motorcycle. <laughs> women. So anyway, our, our stupid plan, yeah, you know, yeah. we went north up into Canada on bikes and, wow. and then went sweeping down through the southern part of the U.S. and trying to stay each winter in a, what we conceived as a Yankee being a warm place. Yeah. But when you get there, they're not. And so I was in Nashville, Tennessee, the first winter, uh, doing all kinds of stupid, odd jobs, you know. And then the second winter wound up in Dallas. The plan was to get to California, get our bikes on a freighter, and go out to Australia <laughs> and meet all these women on, yeah. the, on the beach. They'll just waiting be waiting for, for you. Yeah. And that didn't work out so well. No, no, I didn't work. <laughs> I got as far as Texas. Got as far as Texas. Broke. Yeah, and of course, you know, everybody likes to talk about, you know, the patriotism of joining the army and right. uh, all that stuff. I never take credit for that. I was just broke. You needed hungry. a job, a paying job. Yeah, so years later, I began to appreciate the the big patriotic scene and stuff. But in the beginning, right. it was more an act of desperation so than you, anything. So when did you join it? Like 19 or 20? or? Uh, I think uh, probably ni- 19. I left at 17. Yeah. It might have been 19 and a half, 20. You know, that's a long time ago. It's all kind of vague. It's a fa- yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a faded <laughs> memory. And then you were in there. You were in the Army during the evacuation of Vietnam, correct? Yes. Uh huh. So you 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 aided in in that, I guess. Yeah, the evacuation. The evacuation. You know, uh, by by that time, uh, when I joined, you know, Vietnam was pretty much over. You right. know, and although uh, they, they consider me uh, on the log books of the Department of uh, Defense and so forth, they you know a Vietnam era, just because I guess there was problems at the time or sure. something, but. 
Um, and then we all thought it was over. And then, of course, th they were uh, uh, hit with something similar to the Tet Offensive by the North Vietnamese. Uh -huh. And uh, it was just a massive um, uh, evacuation and escape, of which I have no really cool stories. I was like a traffic cop, basically. <laughs> you know. And then we yeah, got sure. back, you know, we got over to uh, Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, and then set up the first refugee camp, uh, you know, for the first arriving right. planes and stuff like that. And then you were military police, right? Yes, is that, is that where you first started, like any kind of martial arts stuff, or is that, or did you do that? No, I, start, I started before that uh, in Ed Parker Kempo Karate. Oh, wow. So you're right. I, and, and that was, uh, gosh, I don't know, seven, when I got to Texas, maybe 72, the end of, yeah, 72, yeah. Uh, 1972. And of course, um, you just, there wasn't, uh, uh, weren't any karate schools like they are today on every street corner. Right. We, uh, there was like two. And the whole Dallas Fort Worth, right, right. so, you know, maybe ten yeah. in that giant area, and so it took quite a uh, travel to get to these classes and stuff. But uh, as soon as I got semi settled in into Texas, I started doing that. Yeah. Then the army. Then after the army, you became a cop in Denton, Texas. Is that what you were? Denton, Texas, in the Dallas Fort Worth Dallas Metroplex. Fort Worth, yeah, right. Yes. Right. And you do what? Did you you were on the street? You were a patrol? You did whatever? You were a detective? You kind of did a little yeah, bit of everything, uh, right? Patrol, and then, you know, most of that time, 16 and a half years or so, I was a detective. Yeah. And uh, then we had a big manpower shift, police chief change, and, you know, like as I like to say, they decided to make some of the heart doctors foot doctors and some of the foot doctors heart doctors, yeah. and they moved uh, uh, detectives to patrol, patrol to detectives. And so I finished out the last couple of years uh, back in the car, acting like a dinosaur from the 70s, <laughs> like T.J. Hooker. T.J. Hooker, When yeah, today's, right. today's times, you know, warrant right. uh, some uh, uh, nonviolent, uh, peaceful monk to be a cop. Right. And so it was uh, quite a change for me. Yeah, it's a it was a different area, different things could, you know, you could obviously do back then that you can no longer do. Or, you know, it's a it was just a totally different world. So you learned a lot. It was like when you were in the out there as a detective, was that... Did you learn a lot of stuff? Is that where, like, your fascination, that study of the who, what, where, how, why, and when stuff, things happen? Is that where that all sort of developed early on? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, ever trying to define uh, uh, methods to um, use as guidelines and stuff like that. And, and, of course, the police and military had a huge, uh, a never-ending effect on my ideas about training. And, you know, when you are in basic training, they give you some fundamentals. And then when you go, but be it infantry or police or whatever, uh, then when you go to your duty assignment, there are local things you have to worry about, you know, so you're retrained for more local things. And so it becomes sort of a training deal like, uh, okay, gather around guys. Uh, this is how they're going to kill you on Wednesday night. This is how they're going to try to ambush you and, and, and hack you up on Friday night. And of course it's Tuesday. Yeah. So you pay extra attention to what they say. He's like, oh, man. And that sort of imperative mission about real problems uh, infected and affected my entire life yeah. in terms of training. And the Marshall, that we're going to get to some stuff that's coming up. But back then, when you were studying with these different guys, Gibson and, and Asanto and all these other who was, was there one guy, Remy or someone who was the, your greatest influence on in, in your thought process on your martial arts? 
Well, uh, or was it just some, some a, a little bit? Of some of them are police, are police trainers, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you would have a military uh, a guy. Uh, I hate to be typical and sound. Bring back, you know, your favorite drill sergeant from right. the army. But these guys uh, back then, you know, they were all Korean War vets and Vietnam vets, and they had a plastic knee or a plastic body part, and they're all just combat vets. And so, uh, and then some of the stations I was at uh, had these same types of people. I should have walked around with a clipboard around my neck, recording their words of wisdom and their their experiences. But of course, when you're young and stupid, you know, know you don't do that. Uh, but you know, there were numerous timely arrivals of uh, various martial arts experts that came like every three, four, five years. Every three or four or five years that really uh, were very timely and important at that time. Yeah. And of course, I was constantly looking around uh, for the next best thing. Yeah. And that's why you get hooked up in various different martial arts. Oh, uh, Thai boxing, that must be the next best thing. Right. Oh, Filipino stuff. That might... And then after a while, when you look at the big picture, there really is no next best thing. Right. <laughs> so right. that's why in the course <laughs> of... of uh, in the course of trying to uh, do uh, formulas and equations like who, what, where, when, how, and why, and all this stuff, it was just—it just came a point in the '90s somewhere where I said, "You know what? I'm going to have to try to make the next best thing." Yes. And it's a very tricky thing to do. And you know, all of us here are probably uh, you know connected to the Bruce Lee training uh, mm -hmm. in some way. And of course, those purest ideas, those pure pure ideas from him stuck with me forever. Yeah. And as a result, I have no real connection to any martial arts. I think he said more or less once that all martial arts are a trap. And I agree completely. No doubt about and it. And you have to escape system yeah. worship. You have to escape uh, uh, system head worship to be free to question yeah. and to move on right. and evolve, you know. So I am sort of a bastard child of all that, you know, <laughs> you a lonely bastard child I, of all I that. I remember back, I don't want to give names, but back in the 90s, we were somewhere in obscure part of the country uh, training. And I remember when you were kind of moving in that direction. And I, uh, and I know you know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to be vague about it. And I, I could see that evolving over a course of time, and especially at, at the culmination of this one particular martial arts event we were at. And I remember right after that, uh, we, uh, we you and I hooked up, and R.J. Oak uh, and, uh, you know, Kevin Beal and a few other guys. I'm sure there's numbers of other guys who kind of hooked up and and c continued friendships and training after that. But I, re I remember the genesis of that when it all started out when you were already moving in that direction. It was really a matter of pulling the trigger. And when you pulled that trigger, were you still – before you did, were you still on the job as a cop, or had you just left? Or were yeah. you thinking about it? You were still on the job, and you're going, "Okay, shit, I got what's next," and that, that's what this was, right? Yeah, and uh, then then things happened that uh, business wise that that yeah. where I get you know in comparison to what I was doing, it was quite successful, right. and it became ridiculous to stay at that job. You yes. know, it just oh, yeah. in terms of money. Uh, it just became stupid silly for me to continue to work, uh, especially I was back in patrol, miserable hours. Yeah. You know, my health 
failing in various ways because of these terrible schedules and stuff and uh, needing weekends off, needing travel time, and basically, you know, making more money in two weekends than I would in oh, six yeah. months, yeah. you know, as a cop. So it just became just ridiculous to stay there. And that's how, you know, that was really pulling the trigger right. again. After, when did you start writing? Oh, I've I've always really been a writer, but... Right. Um, you know, in the seventies, I wrote a book. Uh, I had a I had a column in a local newspaper. Oh, you did! I and uh, they they liked me, and they they published books too. And so I wrote a book, um, "The Great Escapes of Pancho Villa." Oh, that because that, that's had, when that was yeah, originally written. I did yeah, not he know had that. amazing encounters with unbelievable Hollywood escapes. You know, it's just uh, I I was reading about him and various biographies, and I just picked out this. Wow, that really happened he did that and you know being in a firing squad seconds from being killed and some you know governor's messenger comes galloping up on a horse and says stop don't shoot Pontria you know <laughs> so uh there was there were seven or eight of these events and I thought just that alone would make a favorite uh, right. a terrific book so I did The Great Escapes of Pancho Villa. They published it in Texas, you know, and it, it sold in a non-internet world as best that it could. So really, my first book was uh, in like 78 or 79. Hawk, um, I just have a question that I just can't resist asking. If you had to pick between martial arts and writing, which one would it be? Oh, I would be a writer. Oh, really? Oh, instantly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, the uh, it's not fun. It's its own torture. Uh, <laughs> it's its because, own torture. Um, yeah, I have a question about that too. Actually, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, reading your book, fantastic. Reading. Oh, by the way, let me step uh, back. I don't know if you listened to the show last week. I don't want to interrupt, but last so Hawk. But go ahead. I uh, thank you. I will interrupt <laughs> anyway. It's my show. <laughs> All right, so I'm yes. going to goddamn interrupt. And so I, I buy the book, and I'm reading the book. Or you, excuse me, you sent me the book, and I, I appreciate it. And, and Tom purchased the book, and Tom and I are you know, we're reading the book. And Alana, she gets the book last, good Lord, last week, like in one day. She orders the book from Amazon. We do the show the next day. She has already read the book cover to cover, has it highlighted, has notes and questions. This wow. Is, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and that, of course, is... Is the Fighting Words book, right? The Fighting Words yeah. book, yes, which yeah. we'll, we'll get to. But anyway, but uh, you were going to ask. I'm sorry, did you forget? Yeah, so no, I no, I, no, I managed. All to right, hold you on managed. To it. Good. So, so um, the question that I have is that um, you know, reading your book, there's so much of it that's really kind of dedicated to the situational, the unknown, the the kind of how to manage the variables that are possible to manage, and um, what. <laughs> to me, that that seems so much the antithesis of writing. I, I've had a little practice at writing myself um, because there's so much scaffolding, so much planning, so much revision, so much revisiting, uh, so much of you know, so much forethought, afterthought, and then you have the editors. <laughs> and so I just, you know, so I I just found it kind of, I don't know. Charming, almost. She liked that, it. Yes, I did. That. Um, well, it is. Well, the, the, the it one is, is absolute ahead. practicality. You know, the taxi cabs of absolute reality, and what you do, and and how you've devised, um, how you devised your approach there, 
Um, and then also this, uh, clearly as a writer, um, there's a there's like you said a different kind of torture. There's that constant revision and. You yeah, know, how do you know when yeah, en- enough's enough when you're re- revising? Well, it? you know, I was just wondering. You really don't. And the, no, the thing is, I'm, I'm constantly frustrated with that. Uh, just for example, just the other day, there's some new information I've got that really would have worked well uh, more than once in yeah. uh, the Fighting Words book. And it's kind of new research on memory and so forth and how the brain functions. And, uh, I just say, damn, if I had just known that eight months ago, you know, I could have put it in that chapter. That essay would have been great to have this at the end of it. And and so you you never really know. There are. And, you know, of course, when I say that I like writing, I also really like my fiction stories, you know, and uh, that's the. the writing to which I was referring, actually. Yeah, the you yeah, know the the, the 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 Gunther series and uh, very various uh, uh, nonfiction uh, uh, fiction books that I've written, and that also was difficult. But there's a point of poetry that you once achieve, that is like Hemingway esque. That you say, God, that I got that. You know that you won't ever change. You know, uh, but uh, the other stuff is just so subjective. And in terms of the mechanics of writing, one of the things that's very frustrating is uh, when other people read your book, you know, you have uh, uh, essentially editors that you trust, you know. And um, I used to be a member of a writer's group of people that never got me, never got the book I was writing. They just read the parts, you know. And like we had a couple of romance writers in the book and in the book club and stuff like this. And, you know, they just I'm I'm writing these kind of action (laughs) books with depth, you know, and they just don't get it, you know. And so that's very frustrating. And there I mean, there are literally people that read my book. If they didn't books, if they don't like those parts, that's a good thing. I don't want those kinds of people to like these parts of the book, you know. So it's very subjective. And then I could tell you, God, you know, decades of horror stories about the publishing industry and what they do to your your books, you know. And it just becomes an artistic decision that you make that, okay, this is done. It's, you know, the mission is accomplished and you have to move on. And, you know, I, I can't do many things. I can't sew a quilt. I can't fix a new car. But I can write. And it's what I do best. Nice. And I have to trust that. I have to trust that decision making mm-hmm. uh, in in the torturous process. So is that you, a good answer? Yeah. In fact, I, I, it inspires a follow up, which is: Do you see? I mean, I see the martial arts as really, you know, a creative process at a certain level. Obviously, there there's the there's the hard practicalities also. But um, I was just wondering if you ever find that those creativities um, are antithetical, or if one informs the other. Well, I guess one informs the other. And, you know, I'm writing, I just finished a, 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 an article, you know, which goes up on my blog, which was viewed by a lot of people. And that yeah. Fighting Words book is really an accumulation of all of these uh, essays and articles, which have time to ferment. Yeah. You know, they have time. I take on a subject and it's like a week, two weeks of only that subject. And so as a part of that, uh, all the... Um, the, uh, the craft of organizing material and a melody to which it's written and stuff, all of that comes into a martial arts article. 
uh, or essay, which I think is why a lot of people like them and they read them because, uh, you know, it's engaging or entertaining. So, yes, they both definitely help each other. Yeah, I mean, I actually, my first comment um, off the record to uh, Jim was that, you know, I said it it read really, and this is, I think this is a phrase you'll understand as a, as a compliment, taken out of context, it might not be. I said, no, 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 it was a real easy read. It flowed really nicely. So um, I just have also- That's the magic. <coughs> yeah, yeah, it is, and it is. But and here's why, what you probably don't know, Alana is a writer and, uh, and has been a, um, I don't want to, Vaguely, I mean, she <laughs> has, you can say whatever you she want. has, uh, you know, uh, well, I wouldn't say critic, but uh, what well, was no, 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 I, I, I did like, I did short form nonfiction, like op eds for the time, you know, book reviews for the Times Literary Supplement Sorry, Art in America. I, I was an academic, and then I fell out of that because I felt that it was too insular, and so then I started trying to take my like little insular, interesting things like about this random book from the 15th right. century called The Hypnerotum at Key of Polyphilii and making it relevant to others. Which is really tough to do, but anyway. But I managed sometimes. <laughs> you so, did. So, so anyway, yeah. that's, that's... But the, the point is that yeah. she's actually... So she's in that world. And I've also attempted And I, I am further yeah. from that world because uh, I didn't read a book until I was an adult. So <laughs> it, took, <laughs> it took me a bit of time. You know, you're right. So, so, and when you, so when you're writing Hawk and you're doing this, what like what are, are there favorite authors that you have out there, or not really? You just kind of glance through things. Or well, oh my gosh, that's such authors, a big question. Oh. The <laughs> authors that uh, I like, you know, uh, are really science authors. Uh, uh, Richard uh, Robert Sapolsky that wrote the Behave book. Stephen Pinker. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Guys that, uh, so they're not really fiction writers per se, you know, I like to hear what they're doing. I like to hear their next project. And so I, I kind of follow them writing word wise, you know, there's two guys and it's really a strange deal. I'm a big fan of Hunter S. Thompson and a big fan of William F. Buckley, who couldn't be more extreme <laughs> on either yeah, side, yeah. you know, That's funny. but, uh, <clears throat> there, you know, but, uh, uh, Hunter S. Thompson was, a uh, part of that gonzo journalism. In fact, he invented the term uh, that, uh, but other guys were doing it too, because he became sort of popular at it. And gonzo journalism is a very personal view. You don't just cover the football game. You cover the airline trip and the drive to the stadium and the first hot dog you had. And then you start talking about the football game. That is essentially gon uh, gonzo journalism. I've never heard that term. And, uh, and so it's a personal view that now has infected so many people's writing. All these radio shows, too. You yeah. know, you, you know, everything. You, you got that personal aspect. Right. And then you cover the subject that you want to cover. So author-wise, uh, those two guys. And Buckley is... Is is just an, an incredible. I mean, he can write a two paragraph sentence and it makes sense, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then, of course, on, on the other side too is is uh, somebody like Ernest Hemingway, whose big goal was to shave words off his writing constantly, and uh, in in search of the of the poetry. I think if you're writing fiction right. and you can disguise it as poetry, it uh, it will intrigue um, readers. And, you know, someone like Hemingway or your assignments at writing classes, you know, is to, OK, you're having lunch. Write about that and make that interesting, you know. And so that when you're actually writing about something interesting, 
it is automatically interesting, and then you've added interest to it because of your writing skill, you know. So there's just a few uh, heroes or whatever that uh, uh, or I, I would like to emulate or follow. So what's the, um, what's the most, um, I, I mean, this isn't a question so much about authorial influence, but what's the best non-martial arts book that you would recommend to others to read um, aside from your own, aside from your own, obviously. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm conditioned by Jim yes. here. I, I'm pretty sure that if I didn't say that clause, he would say, well, mine, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the non-martial art books that relate to fighting? No, just in general, for Life. anybody. I mean, yeah, you know, just in general, uh, like, say, uh, as a practitioner um, who is interested in martial arts or whatever, whatever you want to say on that spectrum, what, in, just, for example, like, Borges liked Robert Louis Stevenson. So what I'm asking you, you, is, you know, I have a, uh, I usually on my in my newsletter, Force Centric, that comes out about every five or six weeks. Yeah. I usually feature a book, and uh, and it's one of these kinds of books. So I have numerous favorites, you know, and it's almost. I wish I could run to the other room and bring them in here and read you the titles. Uh, there's a great book on um, response time and and. Uh, you know, it's the latest scientific stuff that blows all the 1990s pop psychology yeah. uh, uh, versions of it out of the water. Uh, I'm listening to right now uh, The Illusion of Memory, which is about brain and focus and how and why we remember things that we do and so on. But it relates directly to the ability to send a message train people, training, you know, retention. And it's not supposed to be about that. It's just about the illusion of memory and how the brain works. And then before that, I read The Knowledge Illusion, which is also a fabulous book um, about, about sort of these subjects and uh, what we really do uh, think of and remember as knowledge and and really, we unless we jump both feet into one particular subject like a lunatic, yeah. you will never really be an expert in some field. You know, there's too many fields, too many people, and so therefore we make assumptions about politics, life, etc., that are really not based on a lot of solid ground. Right. And that's what the that's what the knowledge illusion book is about. That's so there's great. two right there. Yeah. And. Uh, some of these are extremely technical, of which, let me make no mistake, I don't get it. I'm not particularly bright about a lot of these things. And when it gets too technical in science and medicine, you know, I just don't grasp it. However, <laughs> you try to, and then they yeah. get to some graspable information that you can actually yeah. use. No, that's great. Yeah, that's what I really appreciate when we, you kind of throw that stuff out there. And those books, I do read a uh, many of them, and it, it helps me understand. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Right. And it really makes a difference in my ability to, I believe, to teach and communicate whatever it is I'm trying to do. And has uh, uh, that's what I think makes you stand out a lot. A lot of, instead of the guys just being, and you said this to me years ago, and if you, I'm sure you remember, uh, back in, in the day when I was just getting started out there with you, and, you know, about the difference between being a replicator, you know, or do you want to be an innovator? And that stood out yeah. in my mind big time. And when you and I would uh, interface on different things and we'd ask you'd ask me about a particular topic and solving that and I'd come up with something and you're always able to have a laser vision and say, mm, how about this? And, and the bigger picture, the 
all those questions we asked earlier, and it made a huge difference in my ability of how I approach anything. Matter of fact, I wrote a ton of stuff up on the board this week when I do in the CQC uh, training for people to look at and to kind of digest. And it's huge how big these topics can be, but it absolutely makes a difference between a guy who's just kind of repeating it because they learned it from you know, uh, their grandmaster as opposed to doing it their, themselves. I'd say to you in person, I'm going to say it now, is that a lot of the, the JKD guys um, who just try to emulate Bruce Lee instead of uh, being, Imit- right, instead imitate, of being, right. Instead of emulate. Right. And, and I said in many ways, you're pretty, you're doing what Bruce was kind of trying to do or was was doing, and a lot of guys just you know dress in the uniforms and do their little kung fu dance, and uh, and uh, are too close to just trying to replicate instead of being themselves. So that that really is what sets you apart, in my opinion. But you know, pretty much anybody out there. But anyway, so you've written, uh, geez, how many books now, Hawk? I have a list. You want me to read it off? I think it's seventeen. Seventeen. That's yeah, including the know, training and missions. Some of them. Are, are um, not not in print anymore. They're still kind of out there. Like the 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 Pancho Villa book is gone in history. Right. I don't even have one. Yeah, yeah. I don't even it's have just, one. Uh, it's from the seventies and right. it's gone. But that's very Don um, Quixote. You know, <laughs> and we have the tra- the training mission book series. There's Which five is, right there. They're great. Uh, you know, and uh, just the the knife counter knife textbook. Right. The uh, impact weapon textbook. Yep. And then, of course, you know, I'm I need to finish up with the uh, gun counter gun textbook look, yeah. and then, of course, the unarmed book, which is a monster I'm afraid of. You right. know, how many photographs are going to cover is going to cover Holy my shit. unarmed it's, course? Yeah, a ton, a ton. And uh, I, but before I die, I want to get those four of them done, yeah. and then really that says it all. And then, and then I might start my rock band. <laughs> well, that's yeah. Like the training mission books. I, I mean, we had talked about it. It was an all-encompassing hand stick knife gun. Uh, great books, tons and tons of material. I, I have them, and I think yeah, they're no longer. You're no longer printing those, right? They're no longer out in print. No, they're not because they were pirated so much. They were yeah. pirated, right? Which was a big deal, by the way. Which so um, along, jeez, uh, I don't know, early two thousands. I'll, I'll get to the pirating aspect. Um. um I remember Hawk, we were talking, Hawk came up to a gym I had in Lamberville. It was more like a fight club called the Hibernia Fight Gym. And in that gym, it was because it was in a location, it was a nice little town on the Delaware River, beautiful, but it was not good for this kind of business because it was off the beaten path. And so we had our handful of tough guys there, and Hawk would come there. And then Hawk uh, had said to me one day, and we'd known each other for years, and I'd gone to many summers. He goes, you know, Jim, have you ever, I don't know if you remember the story, Hockey, did you ever think about doing a, a DVD or something like this? And and I remember in my my thought, I'm like, me? I, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not nearly talented enough to do a DVD. And I had to actually sit back and think about it. Like, is this something I want to do? Because now I'm going to get up on stage naked in front of the world and show them what I'm made of, <laughs> one way or the other. And I had to sit back. And then I, anyway, long short is that's kind of where, where the, the start of that, um, <laughs> where the start lost my complete train. That was the start of me doing uh, DVDs with Hawk. But there was some reason I was bringing that topic up. And I got to tell you, it completely okay. escapes me. Jim, I was going <laughs> to. Yeah. Jim, I was going to say, when you asked me to be on the radio, I had that same sort of, you know, that same thought process Did of you? like, you know, I'd. 
will, will, am I am I good enough to do this? Will I be able to say anything interesting? Right, it, right. Um, it's kind and, of funny. You know, I think I've grown up enough to say. You have. You know, when when yeah. someone says something, you have that fear response. You <laughs> say yes, do it. Just do it. Yeah, just, that's right. You got to do it. <laughs> they just got to do it. But there was there was a, well, somewhere in my little mind there was a reason why I was telling you that story. Uh, yeah. And uh, I have no idea. Actually, okay. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that uh, we caught on early, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. because I recognized in you this this thirst for all of these things and trying to, you know, put them all together. Okay, wait, Hawk, and, Hawk, uh, I've got to interrupt. You know, we, we did the, uh, uh, we, like, we were really ahead of the game in the 90s about yeah. ground and pound no doubt. i mean we couldn't understand why people weren't beating the hell out of each other instead of wrestling right and so yeah. we did yeah. some early early ground and pound uh, material you know hey listen i remember a time in the 90s when i would unhook a heavy bag lay it on the floor yeah. sit on top of it and beat that bag and i they thought i was a genius <laughs> and now today old women in these boxing courses right. are doing that very same thing. And so I can remember 20, 22 years ago, whatever, uh, doing these things. And uh, so the evolution of ground and pound, which is Jim, Jim's been on the forefront of, is really a big deal. And, you know, we'd made that movie years and years ago. Oh, yeah, and great. now finally, uh, this, uh, somehow, it is, I guess, by winning in the UFC or something, it's become acceptable to, to do this. Right. Well, you know, this anticipation um, 20 years before, whatever, is one of the reasons it's such a privilege to talk to you. Um, and for the, for the first time after especially starting to read what I hear is a prolific over. So, so the other thing that I wanted to ask is that, you see, I mean, it's also quite a privilege to be able to talk to you for a different reason because despite my continual sarcasm directed at Jim I have to <laughs> say you know and you know there there actually I, I I will only say this once possibly twice is that I have always really admired his both theoretical you know the abstract and the practical and his ability to wed those to to not to not kind of react in this kind of inclusivity reaction to, and I'm talking about ideas, not just not just the physicality of everything. Um, so, and I could tell right away um, that you were, you were a huge influence. Um, just really a thread that, you know, Ariadne's thread through the labyrinth. Um, and so I have the privilege also to ask you if you would comment a little bit on, on, the spirit of Jim's creativity, because <laughs> definitely there. And it's yeah. okay. One one little word popped out. You you were just curious that it didn't come through. You you're curious about uh, his creativity. Is his that what you're asking about? Well, yeah, because I mean, I I've heard constantly about well, you know, Hawk's great because of this, and Hawk's great because of that, and he was a big influence on this and that, and I suppose it's just that um, you know, I, I I've you know been training with Jim for not not too long, but, oh, I don't know, a, a while. Yeah, yeah. And I've always been impressed with his own ability to to be, um, to, to fuse ideas, to see them across disciplines, to apply them, to go be, you know, some of the, the great qualities that I, I can yeah. tell that you possess. And so I want to know, I, so I've heard all about the, 
those qualities in you. I was wondering if you could articulate some of them about Jim. Well, I, that could be a long list. I know, and I know. By him saying, We've got all day. By him you saying, you know, he didn't read a book until he was an adult. I've seen him consume books, yes. you know, on our various trips around the world and stuff. And he's got five or six books in his bag, you know. Man. So that that's a just a slight bit of a misnomer that he's not a reader and a fast reader, too. Uh, but that's how, really, we became friends is because we – you know, share that same, uh, uh, you know, outsideness. So we went to see a, uh, some boxing uh, in Trent, New yes, Jersey. Yes, we did. Years ago. And, and everybody has a different perspective on it than he and I did. Yeah. I, I, I could just tell they're there. It's entertaining. Wow, wow. But we are exhausted. We're dissecting everything that happened right. <laughs> and trying to make sense of it. You know, where everybody else is just eating popcorn and they went home, we're perplexed. Well, the why this what happened? happened? Right, what right. just happened? How did the, and that's, of course, you know, um, the difference, of course, between the, the innovator and the replicator. Right. And we can't innovate everything. You know, you, you have to replicate some things, but you have to be free to innovate. And we didn't get here as a human race by stopping where the guy stopped in front of us. Right. We need to move on. And that's a message I try to say in every seminar, you know, is um, and, the, and the doctrine of your system, uh, which is very similar to the doctrine of the Bruce Lee idealism, is, you know, uh, that doctrine has to be open. It can't be dogma. It has to be doctrine. Right. And it, it has to push people off in their own directions and uh, recognize uh, athleticism and, uh, you know, and let that grow. And in saying that, I can always picture uh, Jim doing uh, insanely athletic things that, you know, like kicking somebody in the head from the ground and yeah. stuff. You know, you have to let students that can do that do that, despite what a system doctrine, you know, may, may suggest. But on, a, on the other side of that, since you asked that question, and I tell this story all over the world, I have many uh, Jim McCann stories, uh, but um, is that, that a was kid an crying something? <laughs> no, that was... <laughs> that, was anyway, uh, that was Bruce Lee. That was... <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, he's here somewhere. But, uh, you know, we can get in front of a crowd Maybe. and... Um, Part, you know, there's all that education and stuff, but I just happened to notice this uh, through the years yeah. is that as soon as McCann takes the center of the stage, wow. within minutes, everyone is mesmerized and just loves him. And you can just <laughs> tell. Now, me, you know, it might take me an hour or so, or some guys in the, after the lunch break might start to get what I'm trying, the big picture, yeah, yeah. you know, and start to say, oh, well, okay, he's okay. But with McCann, it's a, it's a person, it's a, a personality thing. And, you know, he's, uh, did I, did I lose y'all? Am I still here? We're no, still here. We're we listening with connecting. rapt attention. That's, That's the rapt it. attention silence, please. Okay. It was great. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. Go ahead. Well, no, so, so I want to, because I want to get up to your book. Obviously, we're doing a lot of, you know, like we've known each other a long time. But what, the reason I ended up going, I finally remembered, uh, it's like I came to, is when we were talking about the training missions and those being um, um, uh, stolen and put on all these different websites. I forget the word you use for it. Uh, but um, 
so that's brought me to that story of my DVD because one time I was somewhere in the middle of the country and I happened to be looking around for stuff and I said, holy cow, here's my DVD available on all these sites in, in China and wherever. Plagiarized. Plagiarized. Yeah. So I sent it to Jane. Jane, holy shit, have you seen this? And she gets back to me. Uh, yeah, that happens every day. And she sent me a list of what's over all the other sites she's kind of tried to shut down and stuff. So, yeah, because right away when you put that stuff out, and when we did DVDs early on, or Hawk had a huge collection of DVDs, the books and so on and so forth, they are just immediately um, – Taken up and put on other pirated. websites. Pirated, pirated. Thank you. Yeah. Pirated for free. And it's a very freshening because yeah. that market has completely changed. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the other reason we're here, finally, thank guys for taking me for a long time. And uh, we can go as long as we want. We don't have to keep ourselves to an hour. Is Hawk's new book, Fighting Words, which we touched on slightly. And this is a collection of stories and fighting tactics and strategies that you've accumulated over the years. And you have finally decided to put in this book. So what, what possessed you, Hawk, to kind of just slap this uh, and put this, well, not slap this, just some slapping yeah, this, a lot to put of this together. Have, yeah. have suggested that I do that yeah. and up until very recently. And we're really connected with a German company who, who publishes and distributes our yeah. stuff. And so last December, they, uh, they, we had a phone conference like this. Jane was here and they said, you know, but Hawk, what is next? What are you doing next? You know, and so I have this second police book with that was just released, uh, but um, yeah, a dead right there, nonfiction police stories. And I said, well, you know, he, they asked. I said, well, what about all those blogs that you write? <laughs> and so uh, that kind of put me over the top because here's the deal, you know, I might have a, a, a that book is the physicality, you know, and psychology of fighting. I have a lot of. Uh, uh, new studies and all that, and I'm I before I publish that I've got to go and research if there's anything even newer, and so that was really bugging me, you know. So oh, that's a lot of work, and yeah. Lord knows there's been um, probably seven people that have read it, and one of the uh, uh, editors um, took out all the humor in it, you know, oh. and. <laughs> And so I said, what? She has erased every sarcastic remark and joke out of this thing, you know. And then the next editor is a comma war. Although you need to have 700 more commas. Then the next editor is a comma war. No, you. this just goes on and time just gets eaten up by this editorial process. But at any rate, it was really the last bit of uh, uh, the German uh, distribution giving me a vehicle to sell the book and Let's publish it and all like that. And they're very wonderful people. They uh, let me do what I want to do with what I've got. And then and then they sell it also, you know. Yeah. So they're the ones who kind of precipitated the whole thing. And then you, yeah, they and you had to go back and collect these and organize them and put it in some sort of common sense way so they could flesh this out. To, to seem almost inevitable and yeah. on the page. Yeah, there you go. We well, there'll be there'll <laughs> be a sequel to it. It might be it might be four years. It'll probably be called uh, even more fighting words. Hey, that's a good name. Why not? Or you know, uh, son of fighting words. Son of fighting words. <laughs> or you know, uh, fighting words. Skull Island. <laughs> I don't know what it'll be called. Right. It it'll be, have to be something right. pretty clever. How long did it? How long did it take you to put this together? So after that, you said okay, you agreed to do this. Uh, from the publisher and said, all right, I'll do this. How long? What's that process? It wasn't more than, okay, here's this note here, you know, put it there. You had to have had 
some idea how you yeah, want to I construct think, it. Uh, it started last December. And uh, I guess I had amassed everything obsessively by probably the end of April. Wow. In, just in terms of re updating the research and trying to get things in line and stuff like that. Reading and rereading and rereading. And, and then, of course, then they take over. You know, the big they. The, the, uh, yeah. Editing and editing. And they're on their own schedule. They have other books, not just sure, mine. Just not so, mine. you know, yeah. something goes out and it's, it's you know, here back in two weeks and stuff like that. My new police book, Dead Right There, has been written for years. Yeah. And it's bounced around publishing houses. And now it's, we got it back. And now it's going through the German company and it went really fast compared to this horrible process beforehand. They call it, you know, book. it goes into book publishing hell. Mm. <laughs> so when you, when, once you have amassed all these notes and you send it to them and you're, it's just a, what, a waiting game for you? Are you like, do they, they yeah. don't give you any time frame as to when you're expecting this stuff back? It just. No, they do. They'll give you a time frame about before Christmas. About before maybe Christmas. so and so. Good. Yeah, you know, and then it's and then it becomes, uh, you know, s specific problems pop up and and uh, with my police book, which was supposed to be one giant book, yeah, uh, that that sold to several small publishing houses, and uh, you know when they buy they consume a publishing house, they just consume that filing cabinet of mm. all books in process, you know, right. and then about six, eight months later, the next one bought the next one. And so then, you know, it's two years, it's mm. three years. Right. And you almost forget that you've written some of these stories and some these books because it just, they just <laughs> go away, you know? Right. Right. And then, so, and whatever that time frame is, then hopefully, you know, they're, they're on top of it and you get it out. And then uh, they promote it, you promote it, you go on, you know, big sh big radio shows like uh, Primal Radio right. <laughs> to promote the promote the show. Hey, I want to touch on some of the the, the, the gee, there's so many topics on here. I'm just going to randomly pull out some. Is that okay with you? Yeah, sure. All right. Here, well, look, we talk about it all the time, but I want to because I think this is so important. It's number one. It's the who, what, where, when, how, and why. Um, that you give that lecture. Every time I see, every, every time we get, every week, yeah. every day, uh, want to elaborate on that? Well, you know, it's basically uh, what you fill out as a crime report as a police officer, which is what how I was first exposed to it. And then a detective uh, asks uh, deeper questions, and then a prosecutor really does because you never know what stupid little thing is going to come up in right. a trial, you know. And so then using that uh, format. Um, in terms of fighting, but I always end with the discussion that that's your formula for life. You know, uh, if you're going to get married, if you're going to buy a car, if you're going to buy a house, answer those questions deeply. Who, what, where, when, how, and why. And then the other phase of that is if you get down, so like, for example, who? You know, who are you really yeah. And who do you really think you're going to be fighting? Is your, uh, you know, are you studying Thai boxing, but you're really afraid of a mugger? You know, uh, uh, the uh, are you studying something that fights Nazi commandos? And is that really your your real problem in life? Or <laughs> are you just someone who's interested in fighting Nazi commandos? Well, then, you know, I just want you to know what the hell you're doing and why, you know. And if you know that and it fits well, then, you know, then pursue it, be happy, you know, but don't, 
be the confused Taekwondo. Uh, I know a guy that uh, had seen a Steven Seagal movie, driving down the road, saw a Taekwondo school, went in there, said, hey, I want to learn to fight like Steven Seagal. And of course, they want his money. So they said, you've come to the right place. (laughs) Well, he's out of there in three weeks because that's not what he wanted. You know, so as long as you know what you want. And so in the end, uh, you ask, who are you really physically, mentally? Who are you? And then uh, how much gas and dynamite do you have? You know, which is, of course, endurance and explosive power and all these different things. And then you get down to the when and the where you realize you've got to go back to the who and the what to really answer the where. So it's quite as simple and you pass through it about six times and you get a handle on if you have proper uh, intelligence information, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you get a handle on your mission, you know, your life or whatever. And so um, I use that uh, to inspire people, make them think, make them innovate or whatever. And then also when I'm organizing the the systems and the programs, I try to, you know, use that as a foundation for that too. Right, right, right. Yeah, and you know, the next right after that, I want to jump around, but which I thought was great is, is what is winning anyway? And I thought that was a real good point uh, that you brought up in the book. What is winning? Winning in the ring is different than winning on the street. You want to touch on that? Yeah, the winning, of course. So there used to be a police instructor that was rather famous who had the win course. You know, W-I-N. And so uh, I I really uh, uh, started to uh, his approach to winning and so forth. And I said, well, uh, the police win is an arrest or something. But to a citizen on a parking lot, winning is escaping, you know, uh, without any bodily injury or whatever. So the thing is that winning is subjective to the situation and to the people. And, and not just this sort of uh, win mentality. You know, I remember a case where a, a guy was uh, uh, accosted by a mugger in a parking lot, and the guy was drunk, and he got a little aggressive, and the guy, who was a martial arts student of a rough, tough class, you know, beat this mugger mercilessly, right? Yeah. And not a mugger. I mean to say a beggar, mm-hmm. a beggar, not a mugger. Yeah. So he beat this this beggar mercilessly, And, uh, you know, the guy goes to the hospital and the student, the citizen, is arrested for aggravated assault uh, because his martial arts school trains that everyone is a Nazi commando that you have to disembowel and and kill, you know. And uh, that definition of winning doesn't fit. And, of course, that guy was on television. They interviewed him. And the, the school owner says, with his arms crossed, you know, he says, well, that'll teach those panhandlers <laughs> yeah. a lesson. Your student is in jail for two freaking years, right. Bubba, right, right. you know, because of what you were doing. So winning is uh, is very subjective. And by the way, that police course suddenly became, after my published article, it switched over to an acronym What's important now? Wow. So I did, ha- I did have some effect did on that. How about this? How about what? I- this is always a great topic of discussion. What is your, like when they know someone outside of our little world here knows that I te- or finds out that I'm, I teach martial arts and boxing and stuff like that. They're like, well, what's your style? <laughs> yeah. Right. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's what I get that. I've also said, well, what's your base what martial art is your base? What's your style? Yeah. And I just flippantly just say the essence of combat, 
Which leads me out like, what? Generic, <laughs> the pure, the pure generic uh, movement, you know, which is also something we were talking about. You know, one of the great aspects of of uh, Jim McCann is one of the things I really like about it is no matter what he's doing, it doesn't look like a style. I mean, he does Jeet Kune Do, and it doesn't look like Jeet Kune Do. A, a force of concentration goes over his face, and he just <laughs> executes, gas. and it doesn't look like anything. And, and that's my idea of a terrific fighter, uh, is someone that uh, doesn't, is so generic and so chiseled down uh, to, to do what they're doing that there's no flash, there's no extra heel twist, there's no extra stuff. We, we all have mirror neurons. Yeah. We all see the instructor do it. And then we, we pick up on all that uh, 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 flaws, all those little, uh, art, what do they call them? Archite There's a word for it. Artifacts in, in the computer oh, world. Yeah, you know, yeah. no, None of these little artifacts. You just kick ass. You just do what it is. You know, right. And that, to me, is the essence of combat. And I always get a kick out of... Uh, Jim, your connection to the Jeet Kune Do world, because yeah. when you're doing it, it doesn't look like it. Well, that's good. <laughs> For all the reasons <laughs> that I've just explained, like you know. Looks nothing like Jeet Kune Do. <laughs> you're just executing, you know. Well, awesome. And, and um, because you're not interested in all that other I stuff. I care less. And it doesn't get in the way. So right. that's my answer to that right. question. You know, what is your style? Right. What is your base? You have to have a base style, you know. Right. And, um, Really, uh, it's uh, you talk of also too about the the connection with writing. It's Hemingway. It's chiseling it down to the the raw message, you know, and uh, that's that's always my answer. Is you know, it's just the the es the essence of combat. Which, by the way, Bruce Lee also said. Right, yeah, in some kind of form. And one of the chapters here was sort of hack away at the unessential. Is that what it was? hack away at the essential? That's it. Ha Probably. Hack away at the unessential. Yeah, yeah. So, unessential. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Getting rid of all this. Thing. We were talking about that the other day. All this, not all this stuff. How much? How can you remember all this stuff, and all these little things? And you know, we gather these big giant notebooks of all this stuff. And essentially, you need to know those, you know, handful of things that work for you. And you know that. that yeah. That's where it lies. But yeah, I guess depending you to, on your situation, so you know. Right. As as we as we like as we like to say, uh, you know, when people say, well, you need to know five things. Well. You need to know five things, yeah, but also those five. You need to know five things when you're on the bottom in a ground fight. Right. You need to know those five things when you're on the bottom in a ground fight with a knife. And so those five things, it's just not just five things. It's you know a series of simple things that really are situational. Right. It's one hundred percent situational. I think people. Hawk. One one thing that kind of really leapt out of the book to me was like a desire on your side to sort of simplify um, concepts. So, for example, you know, the FMA world, you might have the 12 angles of attack, and you've said, oh, you'll use the combat clock instead. Um, yes. Other examples would be stuff, you know, you, you've tried to say, go into the ground, but there, there might be, like, say, four four different ways that, that you might fall or, or situations. So it's, it's kind of finding those um, bits of commonality, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, across the different uh, things that go on in a fighting environment. Well, that that is, you know, one of the uh, goals of mine, where I'm always constantly working, is to is there a set 
or a little uh, uh, thing I can do, an outline or whatever, that is as universal as possible. And that's not a theory that I've invaded and invented up. You know, that is something that, uh, you, you know, you just change the tools, which is inspired to me by Filipino martial arts. And in particular, Ernesto Preces yeah. is, you know, you do one thing and you switch the tools around, you know, and then that one thing is better learned and, and easier to remember. I always believe, you know, that fighting is more like checkers and less like chess. And we, and this is a problem. This is a real problem because we are all as adults bored with checkers. If your kid walks up to you and says, Daddy, you know, let's play checkers. You're just bored. Oh, God. Okay. All right. And unfortunately, it's the checkers that keep us alive, yeah. you know, and, and the checkers that you need to know. And on the flip side of that, from a doctrine issue, if you have a genius student who's an incredible athlete, his definition of chess and checkers is different. You know, he he can, to him, you know, our chess is his checkers. You have to, as an instructor, recognize that and let him grow. You know, I always tell the story about my friend, uh, Roger White, who I worked with for years, who wearing Tony Lama cowboy boots and his police uniform can kick you in the head successfully. And you, and you know it's coming because we've practiced so much, you know, at some point in the next minute, I'm going to get kicked in the head by Roger White, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. and then and we're, you know, in uniform, we used to work out in the middle of the night at a police athletic league, and, and we would just take our uniform shirt on, we'd have our gun belts on and everything, and then uh, he is capable of doing that, and you don't take that bullet from that guy's yeah. gun, you know, despite the fact that the course parameters, is, well, we never kick above the knee, and you're wrong if you do that. Well, some people can. And so um, the definition, the borderline of simplicity changes, you know, by person to person. Uh, but uh, I do believe that, you know, fighting is more like checkers and less like chess. And we have to use that as a major construct. No, absolutely. Hey, okay, Tom, did you have somebody? Um, I, I, just one, uh, another qu quote that you always use in your seminars, which which I really like, but uh, uh, I'd like you to expand upon. Life is either an interview or an, am an ambush? Yes. Well, uh, you know, as I like to say, you know, if you're a business person and you walk into your business on Monday morning, 8 o'clock, and the pipes are burst and all the employees are sopping wet and they run up to you gurgling and screaming, you know, the pipes are broken. They expect you to do something right away. And as a businessman, it's kind of an ambush. You've got to figure out, oh, crap, what am I going to do right away? As opposed to an interview where you have a plumber come in three weeks earlier. He walks over to you, puts his hand on your shoulder and says, you know, these pipes are probably going to break in about three weeks. They're going to burst. That's an interview. So even in the most primitive aspects of life, you can sort of... Um, uh, define interview and ambush, not just in fighting or crime or military, but also in everyday life. So in its most primitive abstract sense, I like to say that life, much of life is either an interview or an ambush. And so uh, most attacks of, of crime and so forth are uh, uh, ambushes. And uh, it involves uh, geography, uh, yeah. and they used to call it forensic geography, but that name's been hijacked by various sources now to something else. But where you are and how safe that alleyway is, how safe that passageway is between the bus stop and the, the dark tree at night, perfectly fine in the daytime. But when, who, what, where, when, how, and why, 
at night, I worked a rape case right by that bush and right by that bus stop, you know. So uh, you have to um, kind of figure all that stuff out. I hope that answered that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you talk as well in the book about sort of training for the unexpected um, and how you can, you know, through repetition. Repetition, or, or, yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff as well in the book about how the mind works, you know, recognizing patterns, you, you know, you, you, you would, you would recognize when you're sort of, um, that sixth sense as you describe it, of, you know, you, you're approaching danger, for example. Yeah. And you know, the, um, first of all, repetition is a big thing. And when you're in the military and you train against ambushes, uh, they have you do certain things that you immediately jump into uh, from repetition training. It's too much, too, too long to explain now, but various famous uh, uh, ambush escapes and so forth. And really that it plays over to uh, our life. And um, oftentimes, you know, through the years, people will walk up to you and say, well, I'm worried. I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit a person. I don't know if I'm going to respond well. And you just send them back to their corner with their partner to do more repetitions because repetition training you know, can can jolt you out of that. And there will be some lag time, depending on how alert you are before the incident happens. You know, a lot of people talk about staying alert, staying alert, staying alert. But the other part of that is you can be alert as hell, still get your ass kicked. Um, <laughs> you have to be able to do stuff. Yes, you, know? you can. And this, this repetition training, uh, if it can kick in, which it has been proven through history to, to kick in, yeah. uh, then you're telling your, your students something constructive. And when you tell them this truth, uh, it, it does add confidence. It gives them something to do. People want to do something about a perceived problem. And this repetition training gives them some, you know, something to do. On the subject of uh, the, the so-called spidey sense, you know, it really is uh, uh, educated mind uh, that creates the messages that are like Spidey sense. And I followed this through years and years of, of military training and research about this subject. And the latest, greatest thing, which is in the book, uh, mentioned just in a few paragraphs because it was so new and it was the book deadline. And I regret not being able to really discuss it in a book because it's so groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. There's a thing the military now calls sense making. That's just one word. And that is trying to make sense of your situation in many different levels. And they're trying very hard to, to in, incorporate this program. Uh, and, you know, your overall knowledge that you've acquired from watching every TV show, every movie, every newscast or whatever is back in your brain about what is dangerous and who is dangerous. So it's not a magic perception. Uh, it is an educated perception that helps you decide, I don't want to walk there. I don't want to go in that ball. Yeah. I don't want to do this. You know, it's it's just called something called sense making. That's great. That's great. No, that's that's why you're always 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 investigating, always learning new things, and bringing it out to the forefront, which a lot of guys don't ever do. They're just sitting with the status quo, and you have not. Hawk, I want to uh, thank you for spending uh, time on the show, and I really appreciate the book. is great. The book is Fighting Words, and you can get that on Amazon.com. You can get that on ForceNecessary.com. 
Uh, where else can we get that, Hawk? That's pretty much well. The you world. can, uh, yeah. Really, if you go to www.forcenecessary.com, uh, all common spelling, you know. Yeah. And we it connects to the shop side page. You'll see all our DVDs. You'll see McCann's DVDs there. And of course, I'm trying now to go to downloads only and yeah. get out of the physical. Right. I think we have with you. We've done with Nick Hughes and yeah. various people. Halleck. We're trying to just do downloads because it. The DVD is disappearing. It is the dead. player is disappearing off a laptop. It you know? is. It but is. you can get the book on on that shop site. You get an ebook. You get it on Kindle. You know, it's everywhere that books are sold. Everywhere that books are. Sold. Yeah, I have got heart. You know, I was going to get it on Kindle too, but oh, yeah, but she doesn't like Kindle. But anyway, Hawk, thank you so much for uh, spending the time. Um, and I do really appreciate it. And I guess I'll see you sometime next year. We'll kind yes. of flesh out our schedules together. Sometime here in the in the uh, in the, near in the spring. Yeah, yes. right. The last time we saw each other was in Ireland too. The last it was with uh, Tom and these guys. And then uh, we have a bunch on the agenda here at uh, Primal Radio and, and Primal Gym. You can get a hold of me at uh, primalgymnj.com. You can listen to this show every Saturday night, 9 p.m. UK time. 9 p.m. New York time. It's on HamiltonRadio.net, Channel 2. Also, we do have a chat room on there. If you care to comment, we'll probably never read them, but get right ahead. Uh, we'll also <laughs> going to be, because we just don't care. We are we are growing despite everything else, and we, uh, in the next week or so, we will be on iTunes. We'll be on iHeartRadio's uh, radio. We'll be on Sonos, I guess that's how you say it, on YouTube, where you can listen on SoundCloud and Amazon Alexa. We have a fight coming up January 20th at Primal Gym where Scrap will be defending his 141-pound title. And we will also be having Evan Holyfield, son of the uh, heavyweight champion of the world, Evander Holyfield, at our fight, uh, fighting for the 152-pound title. Also, geez, on another note, we just, we're just we officially approved. Officially, we put in for the sanctioning to be a promoter of MMA in the great state of New Jersey. Uh, we'll be having uh, three shows, and plus there's some kickboxing shows. Our first MMA show will be April 28th at Primal Gym. Uh, so we'll be working on that. Looking forward to, uh, to uh, look, check us out for that. Any fighters and stuff, get a hold of us, and we'll see what we can do to get you on the card. Tom McGrath, what are you promoting, Tom? Uh, nothing. I was just going to mention another one of uh, Hawk's books. Um, don't even think about it, which is a kind of autobiography. But yep. if, if you want to know more about that story of uh, heading west on the motorbikes and um, the time when he forgot his gun on a drugs raid and things like that, uh, I'd re- highly recommend that book. I really enjoyed it. His, his books are great. Actually, the first book I read, uh, Hawk, we were going overseas, and it was uh, My Gun is My Passport. Outside my of the gun mission. My Passport, I, I, yes. I, I read that um, we were headed over. I hope you still brought your passport, Jim. I did. Well, <laughs> this was one of our many trips around the planet doing things, and we were uh, somewhere, an undisclosed military base in Southwest Asia, as they had, and uh, it was quite a journey. Um, yes, it was. What it was, and we uh, went out to a little village, and uh, it was uh, it was just a different world. And I don't know if you remember this, Hawk, and this is God's honest true story. We're in a, 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 a truck with the, the military going to wherever the hell we're going. And alongside us come like a 1972 Datsun pickup. Datsun is I know in, what you're going to talk right? about. And there's two fucking camels in the back of this pickup truck just sitting there like in the U.S. Like, you know, hockey probably see it every week. A couple guys with a couple Labrador retrievers in the back. 
And I see it. I go, holy shit. I go to grab my phone, right, to take a picture. I drop the phone. I can't get the phone up. I can't get it to the camera. And I take a picture of the back of the pickup. So just like when people go to take a picture of Bigfoot and you wonder why they don't get the picture of Bigfoot, <laughs> I couldn't even get a picture of a couple of camels in the back of a truck. So Bigfoot exists. <laughs> wow. The guys driving that truck were laughing at us because right. we were so shocked, I were, think. Yeah, they like, had the big headgear on and they were smiling and saying, stupid Americans, yeah. they've never seen camels transported <laughs> like this never seen camels. They, yeah, they were just oh, sitting. so quaint when they were I know, like it was nuts. But that, well, there's a lot of great stories and. We had a lot of interesting, time, great times doing that stuff. But anyway, Hawk, thank yes. you so much. I really appreciate it, brother. And you have a wonderful holiday and another great show at Primal Radio. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.